If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hey, 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 everyone on the line. Oh, there we go. Okay, hey, hey, everyone on the line. It is Nicole and Nikki. We are coming at you with week three of It's That Easy, and we have to laugh at ourselves because we're learning what that means (laughs) with the logistics. (laughs) So it's a beautiful thing that we entitled the show It's That Easy, and we hope that you found us easily. We've been getting some different feedback. So we just want to thank everybody who's on the line. Uh, we have with us again Ice Life. We're going to pick up from where we left off last week discussing the poor righteous teacher complex. And so I just want to thank everybody on the line, and I'll let Nikki Nikki just say her hellos, and we'll get going. All right. Peace, family. I am happy to be back in the building this week. Um, my apologies for last week. We had some te- technical difficulties. They just kind of um, gave us a short show, but I, I think it was a good thing to the extent that it kind of gave the conversation an opportunity to breathe. And um, so we back this week, and I'm so happy that we are joined again to finish up the conversation with our guest, Ice Life, today. Um, and so I, I just wanted to tell a, a story real quickly that I think kind of illustrated this topic for me um, a little bit, at least this week. Um, it, it's kind of funny. So I was reaching out uh, to Ice earlier in the week, you know, just to follow up and confirm we were good for today's show. And um, I called, he didn't pick up, and then, like, literally seconds later, my phone rang again, but it was a different phone number. So I'm thinking it's Ice calling me back, you know, from, like, a landline or something like that, you know, calling me back. And there's this hysterical voice on the other line telling, you know, going, Nikki, you know, I, I got <laughs> I got jumped and, and beat up by by a group of by a group of dudes at the at the club and he's like telling me this whole story or whatever. Now in my mind, because it happened so quickly and then I'm hearing this hy- hysterical voice on the other end of the line, I'm thinking this is ice calling me back still. Um oh, no. he's like, you know, I <laughs> I know, you gotta wait. So he's like, Yeah, and I got I got jumped by a group of white boys at the club and da 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 and um you know, I was hanging out with a friend of mine and all of this stuff and I'm like, Oh my god, this is so horrible, right? So in my mind I'm like, Hold on a second. Nothing about this story sounds anything like the wavelength or anything about Ice's personality. This is this is really weird. What's happening right now? So I'm listening some more, and, and he's, you know, I was with my friends, and he's telling me, like, the blow by blow. And the further the story goes, the more I realize, hold on, this is not Ice. And so I realize it's another friend of mine, and I go, Oh, thank God. And I'm like relieved because this is not Ice telling me the story, even though this is a horrible story. And anyway, I had to kind of snicker and laugh to myself a little bit because, you know, that's also maybe a little illustration of my, my, my twisted sense of humor because now I'm laughing to myself that it's another friend telling me this story. So I laugh because I'm like this I finally realized this is not even Ice's vibe <laughs> whatsoever. And I'm all relieved because I'm like, oh, yeah, now the story totally makes sense that my other friend is telling me this story. Well, I'm, um, and I'm I thought that was funny right. because I was like, this is a really good illustration of how we talk about once we hit certain shifts in our life and we, we, we get to – you know, these these different sort of spaces of reality, there are gonna be certain things that are that don't even make sense. Yeah. <laughs> and and in mm-hmm. the character and the the personality and, and the reality that we begin to assume 
once we shift into these new identities and these new perspectives of self. So I just thought that I thought that was funny because I was like, yeah, this makes sense that this is somebody else telling me the story and not ICE. And so I thought about that in the context of this poor righteous teacher complex because what I was trying to get at last week and, and starting to, to get on was the fact that the poor righteous teacher is it's really an archetype. The poor righteous teacher is a, a phase, and it's intended, I think, really to be a, a limited time sort of reality and sense of self. And so I was thinking about the poor righteous teacher and the things that we were saying last week, and I was like, you know, I I was really trying to get around to sort of summing up that conversation, and and I hope that I spoke to it last week when I said that, or, or I what I hope that I said is that I've been the poor righteous teacher on multiple levels in my life. Uh, from a from a work and and business entrepreneurial perspective, see, let me talk about the poor righteous teacher aspect of of my life and how I can identify this archetype because I've been this archetype. The poor righteous teacher is the is the entrepreneur who's got all the talent and and all the capacity and ability in the world, but because of fear failure, because of um, poor past experiences, they don't have the confidence in self to really be themselves to the best and fullest capacity. The poor righteous teacher, we were talking in, in week one about, you know, um, uh, super black mom who's got it all, to, super black single mom who's got it all together. She doesn't need anybody's help. She don't need no man's help. She don't need nothing, right? She she drank a whole gallon of the Auntie O'Kool-Aid <laughs> that Coley Cole was talking about in week one. See, the poor righteous teacher is not just, you know, the the – pseudo-revolutionary, the Facebook revolutionary. The the poor righteous teacher is not just the academic. It it can manifest in so many different ways on so many different levels. And so as we were having that conversation and I was reflecting on it last week, I said, okay, yeah, I get it. On the personal level, I've been, you know, the, the mom who, you know, even though for a very brief moment in time I felt like, oh, I could do it all by myself. Um, and, and that was very short-lived because what I really came to realize was not only don't I want to, but there is no need for me to do it all by myself as a mother. So this archetype can really manifest itself on so many different levels. It's not just one reality. It's not just one person. So I I spoke last week and I said that, you know, I wanted to come to, you know, this conclusion of who I really realized the the poor righteous teacher was. And I just want to share real quickly, you know, that that sort of culmination that I came to about what, what the truth of the poor righteous teacher is. And ultimately, the poor righteous teacher is the slave who noticed that something was wrong. He teaches all the other slaves to recognize the signs and how to analyze his oppressor or her oppressor, but he or she has absolutely no solutions. And and the real the real crux of the problem is that this person has analyzed their problem more than they've recognized and analyzed their power. So so that's really the not only do I think do they recognize it. But they identify with it. They they with they their, build an, with their problems with their oppression with their problems. Yes, they 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 build mm-hmm. an identity and a um, and a connection to and even sometimes maybe a validity based in the fact that they are one of the one of the people in this in a struggle or struggling. Mm-hmm. And, and so you know, I I thought to myself like. I know that this comes from so many different places. We we get barraged from the time that we're children with, you know, different external um, uh, 
forms of communication to tell us things like we're innately sinful, we're bad, you know, because of the color of your skin, you are by nature going to have a hard time in this world. And and those ideas begin to, snow, to snowball and really solidify in our lives, and we really cling, we, we have a tendency sometimes to cling to those identities. And, and and what I realized, and like I said, I used to be the poor righteous teacher. I have been the poor righteous teacher on many different levels in my life. And, and, and through really just observing the difference between where, where I claim that I wanted to go in my life versus the traje- trajectory I was actually heading in based on my belief system, I finally had to say to myself, you know what, no. I don't want to do it by myself. No, I I don't want to identify with this defeated reality. And it was from there that I began to seek out and am in the process of seeking out and and have also had certain influences and very incredible people in my life to be sort of signposts for me and, and point me in the direction like, oh, you woke up a little bit, honey, go this way, you know. But... I'm I'm on that path currently because you know what is funny I was scrolling through my Facebook earlier today and literally some of those old memories and stuff were popping up different posts that I posted 4 or 5 years ago and it was very recently okay I saw the post the, the evidence of it this morning it was very recently that I was the poor righteous teacher so I'm on the path now of being a recovering <laughs> poor righteous teacher <laughs> And so I'm so happy to have with us on the line today, and I don't know that we really got into it last week. I didn't even go back and listen to last week's episode because I didn't want to, you know, play a mind game with myself and be on another hype. I just wanted to finish this conversation. But I don't really know that we really went in and qualified the guests that we have on the line with us today. And I have a personal relationship with this brother and have known him since we were teenagers. And I saw this brother grow from you know, the gra- the grassroots organizer um, with um, one of the first um, groups that he co-founded, which was Power, um, people organizing with each other for revolution. I mean, this brother has been in, in many different facets and, 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 and aspects and perspectives of what we call the struggle. And I saw him cross over from being this very grassroots, this very anti-money even, anti you know, establishment, anti so many different things, and I've seen him maintain through his growth much of the same conviction that he had when we when we were 17 and 18 years old. But I've seen it progress and develop, and now this brother is, I, I believe he's had guest residencies at Harvard, if I'm not mistaken, and if you read the bio that's, um, that's on the site, over 50 universities a year. So this brother is highly sought after in his work around um, socio-political and all of that good stuff, galvanizing students and thinkers. And this 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 is a powerful brother we have on the line right now who's been to the mountaintop, if you will. He's seen the other side of the rainbow and kind of crossed over from this archetype of the poor righteous teacher to – Maybe if if I dare say just a righteous teacher, <laughs> he's also an incredible entrepreneur and business owner. And his business, um, if if it's okay for me to say it, has broken the six figure mark. Um, so so this brother is doing some things, and and he's familiar with this transition. So I really want to get his input on what that transition looks like, and and are you able to identify with you know, the archetype of the poor righteous teacher and and what does that growth require? Because I'm sure also you've seen maybe maybe you've lost some friends in the process or maybe lost friends is not the way to to characterize it. But I want to hear from your perspective and and I'm sure the rest of the listeners want to hear as well. One, I'm I'm really humbled and uh, and blessed by that introduction. I appreciate it. And um I was just talking to somebody a second ago about how sometimes you don't, you know, you you don't see a certain reality through a lens until someone else says it, you know. And um, 
I really appreciate that. Um, I um, I guess I I could just begin with um, well, one. I want to talk about the, just the, the importance of this issue. I feel like what what you two sisters are presenting is uh, a dialogue that's necessary in um, in our evolution and um, as uh, as people who who emanate love but also want to see a tangible um, manifestation from that. And um, I think I think in time it will prove that y'all are pioneering in this conversation. And the, the for me, you know, I, 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 started, I started out, you know, I began becoming politicized my senior year of, of high school. At the same time, I was, um, I was hired by a major record label. And um, my task essentially was to go on the road and help uh, promote in what's called a B market or a C market to help promote um, parties that were like the, 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 after, the after events for large commercial corporate concerts. And um, when, when the the juxtaposition of my political and social views um, versus, you know, what my work was when it got too overwhelming and I had to, you know, I had to decide, you know, was I going to go and do this, you know, this kind of corporate thing or was I going to go with the people? I went with the people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I figured, you know, I just wasn't, you know, me and my people. I, I figured there was just a lot, and it was true, it was a lot for me to learn. So I immersed myself. I enrolled in City College, and I started studying, you know, ethnic studies and creative marketing. I wanted to market revolution. <laughs> That's how I was thinking, when wow. I was, you know, back then. And when I, and I started going to, you know, all of the rallies and the protests and the social justice meetings, and what I saw right away is the way that the information was presented was really whack. It was very shabby. It was very uh, righteous, yet poor. Um, a lot of times it was not teaching. You know, if anything, it was just kind of beating people over the head with a, a narrative of poverty. You know, when I think about my mm-hmm. one of my first largest contracts was with a clean air disparity campaign. Um, so, I, you know, I, I transferred the production company I had started so I could work with the record label. I transferred it into what became, became Life Productive and a, a social marketing product development firm nine years ago now. And when we when we started doing that, that work, what I saw right away is that the the way that these issues were presented was really kind of whack and shabby. And, and, and if I went to a, for example, that first client with a clean air, healthy air campaign because of how many kids in East Oakland were being hospitalized for asthma because of geographical racism. And... Mm-hmm. The the signs that they had said, uh, you know, we demand clean air in East Oakland. They had a picture of a four-year-old holding a gas mask. And I thought, mm-hmm. nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to look at that. You know, and then what was the most, what is the, the most successful public health campaign in the world? It's the breast cancer campaign. And you don't see a picture of a withering breast. You see a picture of two white women high-fiving each other in the field. You know, they're embracing life. They're not combating death. And that was the first thing that I saw in the field that I think y'all are now articulating as this poor right to teacher syndrome. And it was what it was. It was fallout from the community. And the way that we falsely think we're going to liberate ourselves is to declare our oppression. And Mm -hmm. in declaring our oppression, because we black folks, everything we do is beautiful. So yes, we have we know how to beautifully paint our plight, but it's still a plight. You know what I mean? It's like if if you ever gone to somebody who owes you money and they from the hood and they black, they can make you smile and laugh talking about how they ain't got your money. <laughs> you know they, they, you know, Oh, well, you know what? You come around here with that talk about that. I mean, you know I'm stuck out here and you smiling and you laughing, but you ain't getting no money. Right? And they smiling and they don't have no money. So our our pain is beautiful because we're beautiful, the way it looks, I mean. And so I, the transition for me to answer your question directly was when I realized that I didn't believe in anyone ever really loving me. 
And inversely, I didn't believe in anybody ever really loving the people. My What I had planned for was to perpetually be in struggle in my relationship with my family, in my relationship with uh, with women in my life, in my relationship in business. Being black, we sign on for a hard time. Oh, you know how it be for us. Yeah. And and then we're successful at that, you know. And so the transition for me was going no. And not only that, I'm a um, I'm a stick to the script. I'm gonna find a way to have abundance in my life without ever becoming, you know, what the OGs call a sellout. You know, because what what that what that means is that our the only way for us to be successful is if we join the agenda of the people that are trying to harm us. And that's just not true. It's the biggest lie in my and I think both of you can relate to this. When you first start out with something, you think you got you know, you think you got an idea but you you, you half confident, half plain. You know, mm-hmm. but you acting like you fully confident. <laughs> you know, and right. when I was first starting out, I that's where I was at. But now as I'm as I'm living in that abundance, um I hope to be able just to share that, and, and y'all are beautiful for having this platform, to say, like, yeah, they're not just me. There's a million and even greater um, examples of, of of people who are thriving and, and not wallowing um, or identifying with their uh, with their plight. So, so I, I would imagine that having been on the opposite, you know, end of the rainbow, if you will, being the poor righteous teacher, you, you've had to sort of face, I'm, I would imagine, some controversy from friends and the community in, you know, how can this brother be down and he's successful? So yeah. I, I mean, I'm assuming that that's a, a reality and a topic you've had to deal with. How do you deal with that? The 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 first the I there there's two ways that I've I've confronted that the the first way that I, I I've confronted it has been in the business world because you come in the room uh, frankly as a man and they expect you to come in kind of docile like a a, a man boy grateful for uh for the chance to be breathing these white people air. And you realize they're like, Whoa, wait a minute, you know, I was told early on in my career that one of the challenges was that my success didn't didn't put me in a position to subordinate the way that other people do. And so that so for example, when I was I used to go and, you know, get like a major gig. I I was when I when I first performed um, on HBO for HBO Death Poetry, when they said, "Okay, we just need you to go pick up your paperwork," and so I, I thought that was weird. But when I went to go pick up my paperwork, there were literally fifty poets in a line to sign a contract. Like they, I, the same way you might be in line at like a coffee shop to pick up your coffee, they were standing in line to sign a contract. It was the most unprofessional, ridiculous <laughs> way to conduct business but for the average kind of coffee house poet they were just glad to be there and then for me because of because of my management and because of you know my actual business outfit there was i couldn't i couldn't just i couldn't just go and sign some contract standing in a line and and i remember that being a challenge my my me being um established in business made it a challenge for me to navigate the what was then the bottom rung of the field that I was trying to get into. On the community level, um, the the way that, that you're confronted with it is like, uh, um, I mean, literally, like, man, yeah, you know, he talking about, you know, community this, community that. I heard he bought a house. Like, I heard, really heard that. <laughs> like I, I, I really. But, and, it's horrible. Crazy, like, <laughs> and and really the, the thing that's crazy about it though is this is coming from the the first thing this brother and sister tell you that they a king or a queen. Well, mm. king and queen live live on land and have wealth. You know, <laughs> it's it's the peasant of the underbelly that is snarling at you know the the folks that have 
and 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 then I've never been. I, I hope people would attest to this. You know, I've never been like you know. I hope to inspire. I'm never trying to stunt on nobody, you know, or degrade somebody with you know what it is that I that 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 I've acquired. I I also um, I think that another thing that young uh, men and women of color struggle with is that when you become successful, you are reminding people of what they are mm. not. Mm. And that that's what in layman terms get called, you know, player hating. But really what it is on a deeper level is when you remind someone of who and really who they think they're not. And actually this is this is you don't have to have cashed a huge check yet, even when your mind is just healthy. When you're just mm. speaking things that are that are that are heavenly, when you are talking to things that are not toxic People are rubbed the wrong way by that. You know, I, I have a line. I say, "Freedom annoys the slave." Mm. And you know, and, and what I mean is, you know, even if it's on a fundamental level, you know, the somebody that's sitting, you know, th- two slaves sitting on a plantation, and one is like, you know, man, I'm about to run off this plantation, and then another slave is like, man, get out of here with all of it, like mad, like angry, right? You know, right. annoyed by. <laughs> You know, and 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 I experienced that. You know, I'm like, man, can we listen to a different song where I'm not uh, 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 just getting murdered throughout this song? I mean, get out of here with the situation. You on you on that old you on that old righteous. You, you on that you know that that's a way to tease you is to make fun of you for being free. And so yeah, I I definitely confronted that, and it's a perpetual thing. And I and I've learned to to humbly just think. And I'm grateful to the universe that I'm on this side of that argument and not the other side. And um, yeah, that's what I, I hope that answers your question. Very much, very much. Coley Cole, you got any questions over there? I, I got some more, but I, I want to hear Coley Cole's voice. Yeah, no, thank you, thank you, thank you. I would like to just, I mean, I think you said it when you said freedom annoys the slave, but I would really like to hit on something that you said. Our pain is beautiful because we're beautiful. I don't know if everybody really, like, can can receive that. Like, we make pain look beautiful, but we could yeah. only do that if we are innately beautiful. Wow. And, yeah. I mean, you, you know, when you shared that, you know, I got into this for market revolution because, bottom line, I didn't think anybody loved me. I didn't think anybody loved us. Um, And so when we talk about our pain is beautiful because we're beautiful, can you share with us, um, and you don't have to get too personal, or maybe you can share an event, since we're talking about shifting. Because when I listen to you, I hear that we started off a revolution because it's about dissemination of information. It's about, you know, and you said something so beautiful, um, embracing life and not combating death and I get that the message is we're constantly combating death you know geographical you know racism whether it's you know redlining economics the image of the people is that you're always going to be combating death and not embracing life was there something that you saw was there a book that you read can you remember the a moment, and I'm sure there have been many in your growth and expansion, where you can illustrate what a shift looks like internally without getting too personal, because I just think that's the big thing, that even I'm learning to shift from, as a woman, thinking for myself, and then having my dad tell me to do something, and at 39 years old, I'm like, why? Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> you can't I tell me what to like, do. just got off the phone with my dad right before our call where my dad basically told me, you know, I asked you to do something and you X, Y, Z, and I'm, I'm disappointed in you. And I was crying just before this phone call because wow. there's still some of that. Um, our, our pain is beautiful because we're beautiful. And if you can't see it, it doesn't matter if you have a father standing in front of you saying you're beautiful. It doesn't matter if you have a campaign telling you you're beautiful. So can you share a shift in what a moment where you shifted internally and things started to look different for you? Yeah. 
um, and it would it, it would be one personal moment, and then it would be one. Uh, um, it could be a like business, a, an, an, an observation, be, yeah. an observation I, that I, mm-hmm. I had politically on the on the on the the, the personal level um, for me. I was my I, I have an, an aunt. She's my mother's sister. Her name is Dolores, and um, you know my my mother and aunt they 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 essentially you know raised me and their children and uh, together you know they they were who were there for each other along the way and they're very different in that my my mom you know I could go to my mom right now I always joke and say I could go to my mom and say hey, mom you know I have a a a, a body in the car. And uh, my mom would calmly go, okay, and she'd go online and she'd look up burying, and that's that, you know, and she wouldn't bring her mother is just very level, you know. Mm-hmm. Her sister, my aunt, she's a wor- she's a worrier, you know. If I went, if I went to my aunt and said, you know, aunt, I have auntie, I have uh, I have a, a body in a car, she'd say, uh, okay, yeah, just a second, okay, and then she'd go in the house and call the police on me. <laughs> she's just a, a panicker, you know, and so. Someone had an assignment. One of the kids in our family had an assignment to um, to call and to, to interview two people in the family that they felt were very different, a school assignment. And, you know, and me and my aunt, we actually, I just saw her. We had a great time hanging out in D.C. As we, um, I appreciate her kind of conservative outlook on the world, you know, and um, and I learned a lot from it. And but we are probably different on the political standpoint. And so, you know, my cousin who was interviewing us went on this, you know, was was talking about, you know, family and uh, you know, supporting the family and I got triggered and I went off on this whole thing of you know, this our our family needs to come together and we need to be this is in my aunt and her spirit, you know, she she sat very calmly and listened to me and she said, I Grandma Chicky, that's her her grandma. Grandma Chicky was the first generation to own property. She said her daddy was property. Mm. These things take time. Mm. And that sat me down because I was so arrogant. And I was on my born in 1982 viewpoint. Mm. And it leveled me. And on two, one, it told me just to, uh, you know, chill out, dude, and be conscientious and compassionate about everybody's path in life. And two, you need to keep on with where Grandma Chicky started. You know, and that was that that was a major for me. It, it took all of the rhetoric, all of the work I had been doing and it crystallized in a really uh tangible way for me. And um which led to later, you know, very shortly after that, having to be willing to uh to be alone. That's the coldest thing about this path. Is it's 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 you it, it's you and often it's just you or it's you and it's people who you didn't expect it to be and it's also people who not there who you never thought would not be in your life. And the the realization I had is that you regardless of that you know, I believe the, the, the professional path we choose in life should be an organized expression of our spiritual self. It should be an organized expression of your spiritual self, whatever walk you choose in life professionally. And that's a serious thing, and that crystallized that for me. The, the, the second thing is uh, a little uh, less heavy and maybe even kind of funny. I got invited to give a graduation speech at, at UCLA, and I went. And I gave the graduation speech, and it was all good, and I left. And I was driving past. They have a military cemetery right behind uh, right behind UCLA, beautiful green grass and all of the, the tombstones in perfect order. And I thought to myself looking at that, I said, damn, even when they did, these white boys are more organized than us. <laughs> they just are in order, and and I'm driven by order. I'm driven by being organized in self, and then being organized in um in my business, and then hopefully at any moment when I'm in a room, 
that I'm uh, encouraging order. And, and and those are examples of moments of many throughout my life that just kind of, it's always the more subtle thing. It's never the big thing. I mean, I've been in situations where I'm, you know, stuck out in the snow and stranded in the snow overnight and four-degree weather. I've been through that kind of heavy. And that, I get no great epiphanies out of that. It's normally what the dude said to me at the gas station. Or mm-hmm. you know something that though though and and I, and I appreciate that about Nicole too because she's that way you know when I with Nikki often when I'm when I'm talking to her you know she go you know I was I was I was looking at this spider the other day <laughs> you know it's a, she pulls beautiful lessons out of uh, out of out of uh, what otherwise would be trivial experiences and I and I think I'm impacted by those things too. Wow. Thank you. I love that and appreciate that because you said all my favorite words, order and uh, encouragement. Um, And, I mean, we're talking about the poor righteous teacher as a phase, as as something that we all kind of transcend. I mean, that's just it. How do we transcend so that we can, as to use your words, not just emanate love but get some tangible outcomes or results from what we are emanating because we are beautiful and what I'm hearing you say though what I'm picking up is although our intention is about the people at some point you became an individual because your success is based on what organized expression of your spiritual self and every your spiritual self is an individual thing it is not a collective of the people because the people at large cannot con- con- conform to your own idea of what your organized expression of your spiritual self is. And so I think a lot of times the player hating or the, you know, you say it's a lonely road. And I think a lot of times when we talk about revolution and the people, we don't realize that it takes one individual to walk that path. You have to be an individual first and walk that path in order to even try to help the people at large. Because like you said, corporate, that's a group. The people is a group. A family is a group of sorts. But if you don't have your own understanding of your own spiritual self, how can you have order if you're just trying to be the people? You're just trying to be the people. So I, I appreciate that, and I'll, I'll pass it to Nikki for some questions before we open up the line. Uh, uh, sure. Okay, one last question. Um, because we're talking about the poor righteous teachers and 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 sort of correlating that to a very specific community, uh, black folks in America, right? But as I was thinking about the poor righteous teacher concept, and 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 this really. The poorness, right, is is really a metaphor for a, a, a certain perception of humility. And what I realized was that this is not only identifiable in you know the so the so called black community, right? Because when we look at you know the Tibetan monks or you know these you know uh, you know nuns over here you know there's there's a recurring theme of some perspective of humility right and so i'm i'm curious to know um from ice um do you think that this sort of poor righteous teacher uh complex is any different than you know when when we when we see you know Tibetan monks who go haul off in a cave for decades to become enlightened? Is there a difference between those two perspectives? I I, I think so because the poor righteous teacher syndrome is is it's it's drenched in being reactionary, mm. and it um, versus um, other kind of. Um, you know, ancient spiritual practices and traditions are um, based on something that is uh, more natural and active versus reactive. And uh, in in fact, I think often in the the, the folks that we see as poor righteous teachers, um, you, you may see the incense in their house, but the meditation is not happening, and that's evident mm-hmm. in in the toxicity. 
Sure. You know, and then when you look at when you look at communities that thrive all around us, all around, I spend a lot of time in Buddhist temples. The communities that thrive all around us, particularly like people who have a a, um, a grasping and an engagement with Buddhism, their spiritual practice is not something that they 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 do as a phase in their life or that they take on. Um, as something that's reactive is woven into who they are. So when you walk into a mechanic shop owned by Koreans, if they practice Buddhism, you're going to see a Buddha there. You can you can even walk into their shadier businesses. You can walk in you can walk into a a, a casino or something like that. And it's, there's there's no part of their business that is not connected with a, mm-hmm. a perpetual kind of of practice that that's sacred. So I I, I think it's it's different. And one thing that I said last week, I just want to make sure we don't we don't lose here is that the word that I see in poor righteous teacher that stands out to me in that phrase is righteous. And this begins from a great place. There's that whole thing around the different stages of grief. You know, the first one is denial, and you know most people deal with that. Like, oh, now what, what you what, what you mean? July Fourth ain't got nothing to do with us. Yes, it do. You know, de- denial, annoyed slave. And then, and then there's anger, and that's the poor righteous teacher. It's that anger stage. Mm-hmm. But after the anger, you know, comes you know these other things that that land lastly in acceptance, and not acceptance of the condition solely, but also acceptance of yourself in relationship to that environment. And when you don't, and and when you are no longer feeling like you have to hold on to dear life, to all your reactionary things, whether it's a hairstyle or fatigue pants or a Malcolm shirt or being broke or living around the way where where it's dangerous. Once you have accepted, like, no, wherever I am, I'm about the people and I am the people, then you then the weight is lifted and you are allowed to be a be an abundant person in monetary wealth, abundant in love, abundant in in, in ownership of your past. And I, I, I think this is brilliant. I never thought about it the way that you were putting it, that it is a phase. And um, I hope that people understand that the reason that we're stuck in that phase is not uh, by accident. It is a deliberate plan from the other side to keep us stuck in that static of anger and, and rage. And I wish we had more time to explore that and I, so that I could give examples of how I've seen that. So know that when you think, you, listeners, when you think you're being righteous because you're righteous and you've been angry for 20 years because you angry for 20 years that it's actually the outcome of a very developed equation to keep us stuck in that unproductive state of anger. Wow. Wow. Hey, hey, what you were saying, and when I think about the poor righteous teacher complex, because you're right, if there's a sense of righteousness that we believe to sort of be innate in poverty. And then, like you said, at the same time, these are the same folks who, you know, will tell us about our history a million years ago and who we used to be and how we descend from kings and queens and, and, and gods. But, you know, we, so it's, it's really a state of mind. But something that I, that I often find myself saying to folks is, you know, moderation, too much water will kill you, you know. So yeah. a lot of times we, and, and talking about, sort of being trapped in this archetype, being trapped in a, a sense of, of ultimately um, maybe apathy, um, but being trapped in this phase of, of helplessness, being trapped in this phase of, of defeat, ultimately. Um, somebody had asked me recently if I saw the new roots, and I was like, absolutely not, and I have no intention of watching it. Um, but but the retelling and, and the re-solidifying of this story in our hearts and minds and passing that, you know, that le- you know what we're calling a legacy on to the next generation. In my mind, I'm like, you know, if, I do, if my daughter decides she wants to go to public school, you know, we, you know we, you're not going to school when they're showing roots because I'm, I'm very aware of the narrative. And, and what I understand about this whole roots narrative is that, our roots go a lot deeper than this this story that we kind of get trapped into. So, um, very beautiful words. I thank you. Thank you. Well, 
I totally cold uh, that. It would be it would be nice. Yeah. And as I heard you, you know, I think about children just real quick before we open up the line. I just I also feel the same way. Got into a heated heated discussion about you know history, and I'm like, well, they should just take history out. Period. Just don't teach it. You weren't there. It's done. Let's you know. But um, <laughs> just I think I also think that I know I, I don't mean that. I don't want anybody to think like literally. Oh my God, Nicole doesn't want us to know. But what I mean is. <laughs> Not only are our children getting impressed upon that, but you got to think the non-melanated kids are also being impressed with their some type of – they're also Certainly. getting sucked into the program. And then you have the brown kids that are getting sucked into the program of who they are and the extent of who they can be. So this when, when I hear Puerto Righteous Teacher, my focus is on teacher. And even though mm. you're speaking words, it is your intention, your emotion, your affect, is what is going out. And so children are learning to be angry. I'm not saying it's right, wrong. I, as Ice is saying, if we had another conversation, we will systematically and, and emphatically show you how it exists. But when we're talking about what is getting emitted, um, you know, I'm going to bring it back to what Nikki said. She said, I was on the phone and the wavelength wasn't the same. So the poor righteous teacher has a wavelength. And that Come on. is what that is what concerns me about yeah. what goes out to our younger generation. And so, as an individual getting connected to your your spiritual self, you start to introduce new wavelengths, new patterns, new new emotions that that can help people transcend past anger. And that's what I love about your work, Ice. I've looked at it. I love that you're willing to go speak and be present, and it is it is a lonely walk. But I also understand that it is bigger than you, and you have allowed that. A lot of us haven't really learned to surrender to something bigger than us. Hello. And so you, <laughs> so poor righteous teacher, like you said, you identify with the problem. You and it validates you being a poor righteous teacher. But there's a calling in the anger. And this is just Nicole's take, the anger, because I was angry. My dad told me I'm disappointed in you. Do you know what my anger was? It wasn't at Auntie O and the Kool-Aid, because I get it. It's systematic. <laughs> you women can do it all by yourself. I could have stayed mad at that, but you know what the anger was? The anger was my emotional indicator that my belief was not in alignment with my desire. Yeah. Come on. The, uh, the emotion of anger is not to prove, see, I told you, I told you those women were wrong for telling us we could do it by ourselves. The anger is that I now have a desire to be more inclusive. I now have a desire to surrender to the male principle. I now have a desire to really, truly be a daughter. But my belief was I got to think for myself. So the anger <laughs> is me and my higher self, you know, and mm-hmm. I, and that's why I, I hope our shows going forward, and I'm going to stop talking, I hope that we bring it back to the self, that your emotion of anger, it can be pointed outwards justifiably so, but you're the only one feeling it. So who is that relationship with? That is with your higher self. Desire, your desire is telling you you're not in the right belief. So I'm going to send you this emotion of anger so you can feel it and stop and go, what, what do I need to do internally to feel better, to get closer to my desired state? And so with that, let's just open up the line. Uh, I don't know if anybody has their hand raised, Nikki. You can see it. And let's get some questions. I'm having a look here. Yeah, yeah. He's phenomenal. Ask some questions, y'all. Don't be scared. <laughs> get free. Get free. If you're annoyed right now, you know what he told us. If you're annoyed right now. <laughs> I am not seeing anybody with their hands up right now. So maybe maybe that means that we, we, we touched on all the points that that folks were hoping that we did. I don't know. The other thing yeah, about the the other thing about the the um the the slave movie, the over and over again slave movie is that what corresponds and I present at on this at universities, I show how within nine month periods of time, whenever they put out one of these slave movies, they follow up with a movie about white royalty. They follow up with what's mm. called a period piece. 
appear in period pieces are, you know, Elizabeth or, uh, you know, Gladiator or movies about white queens, kings, and warriors. And now because they've ran out of those stories to tell, it's them telling comedic stories or Egyptian stories mm. with white people in them. Mm-hmm. And 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 that is the that's the way that that this is, is that this is perpetuated. Um, and 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 you're right. I, I keep you know I'm I'm like I keep and my my mind goes Nikki one Nikki two because I don't when I say Nikki I don't know how y'all <laughs> know who I'm talking to. <laughs> but the, uh, the you're right that there it's a uh, it is damaging to to non-black folks too. You know that. Um, and and it, it reinforces to them, you know, mm-hmm. this, this this issue that's that's there. Miss Nikki, I am looking for uh, information about quantum scriptures and the workshop. Do you have that? Can you pull that up and read that off since we don't have any questions? I most certainly uh, can. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm looking online. And Ice, where can people, uh, where can people uh, socially? I, I, I read it. I listened to an interview that you're like, oh, social media. But where can people, if when they Google you, do you have a a website? Do you can you share your website? Your yeah, yeah. they can follow me online um, under at Ice Flies. That's I S E L Y F E. My my artist website is www.icelife.com, and my firm's website is lifeproductives.com. That's L-Y-F-E productives.com. And um, I'm, I'm really glad to be a part of the convo today. Awesome. Thank you, know. Thank you very much. So, so I know we I have, have – yeah. I'm, I don't I'm trying it. to look – Right now, so that we can tell folks about the lovely uh, presentations that are going to be coming up. I know we got quantum scriptures, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just want to pull up the details so folks know how to find that in- information. But of course, the first place you can go would be um, www.theimaginationguru.com, and there you can find. Uh, you can not only sign up for um, the newsletter where you can get information about um, upcoming events, but there you can also find um, all of the various workshops and, and memberships that are available through the Imagination Guru. And I'm just going to look for just a couple more seconds and see if I can grab those details for y'all. The Quantum Scriptures, uh, the new date, I believe, is July 10th. Uh, so July 10th, that'll be live with, with Minister Jew, um, Quantum Scriptures, and the Fall Equinox, which is in Florida, Jacksonville, Florida, is the weekend of September 23rd through the 25th. So, and that's all on the website. Um, but I kind of, I, I, and we'll go back to that. Ice, is it possible to talk briefly about your productive company, production company, and what, and what what the market is, or who, is it business to business, and what you do over there? Ice, do we lose you? Okay, that's all right. So, Miss Nikki, Nikki, <laughs> takeaways, takeaways. Let's do our takeaways. We have a couple. Of all right, here. awesome. Take- um, my my takeaway for this week. Um, It it, it is really in in having the conversation about the transition, Um, and I really loved uh, what I said about what I I heard him speak to when he gave us Mm -hmm. sort of his his testimonial on his experience Mm -hmm. in that transition is that really we've all got to remember that we've we've been there before we've been this archetype before and and like his aunt said it takes time right mm-hmm. and and it's funny because like i said earlier i had been looking on facebook and some old memories and stuff were popping up and i'm like cringing like oh god i said that four years ago <laughs> you know but and and it's crazy because i'm like wow now, you know, fast forward three or four years down the line, and and when you really think about it, three or four years is, is no time at all, right? And I'm like, right. wow, I've, I've 
here I am. I've I've done it. I shifted, right? And I think we mm-hmm. were speaking earlier about how really most of the epiphanies come out of the small moments. Mm-hmm. There, there. That and that's something that I realized I was obsessed with is the fact that the trumpets don't blow, right? Like when right. when I these really that. powerful and magical moments pop up. There are no trumpets blowing. It's just this quiet, tiny little voice telling you, like, yeah, this is this is the new wave we own. This is the new hype we own simply because in this moment you chose to do something differently than the programming stated needed to be done, right? And so mm-hmm. when I heard yeah. I say, you know, that it takes time. That that was the moment that really hit me today. I was like, wow, you know, we've got to remember that we've been the poor righteous teacher before. You know, we've got to mm-hmm. remember that it was three or four years ago that you were posting crazy stuff on Facebook talking about how much of a, you know, a victim you were in life, how much of a mm-hmm. martyr you are. It was a short mm-hmm. amount of time ago. And that shift is is, is really so... It's, it's so quiet. It's, it, it seems so minute, but in reality, the 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 act of the shift is is really this grand action that's happening in a moment ultimately of silence. And and you know, like I said earlier, you know, some of the poor righteous teachers, or and, and again, this is an archetype that we're talking about. It's, it's not bashing it. The the archetype is only. Uh, uh, shall we say, negative when we get stuck in it, right? Right. And so like mm-hmm. he said, you know, the the poor righteous teacher may have the incense in the house, but the meditation is not going down. And so, right. you know, you and I, Nicole, we're, we we know about the practice of it. Mm. You know, we know about mm-hmm. doing the – doing the, the analysis worksheets, right? I had to pull out mm-hmm. my new worksheet for July. Like, I'm going to do better than I did right. in June. Ultimately, right. the – the 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 will meets the asphalt in the action in the practice of this work and the work is ultimately an individual work. So you know that that's my takeaway takeaway for the day is is remembering that it's it's ultimately just a transition and there was a, a point in time where we were on the other side of the fence and and for me personally mm-hmm. like I said I'm I'm in the process of climbing over mm-hmm. and getting to the other side of the fence cuz it was it was only months ago <laughs> you know that 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 I could identify fully and I was the poor righteous teacher it wasn't that long ago so sometimes it is a matter of just kind of you know sit back and chill and remember that it wasn't that long ago that it was you. And if and, and if I know that I'm still observing it, then I know that there are parts within me that are still being worked out and reprogrammed. You know, I love I always I I, I don't know if you can hear yourself. You probably can't, but I just really <laughs> I hope you'll take some time to have a quiet moment and, and listen back because your your willingness you know, we talked about the power of the will. Like, I mean, your power is in what you will and what you won't do. There is all your power. You will yes. speak from the heart or you, you will overthink it. I mean, it's all in the power of your will. And just I'm so grateful for your energy, for your willingness to just step up and do things, even when they're not, quote, unquote, comfortable or we're not feeling so confident. And this is really helping me in my you know, if you have 0.01% of doubt, even if you have 0.01% of doubt, it cannot manifest. And I think oftentimes when we're in the poor teacher, uh, righteous teacher complex, and I really appreciated that you acknowledge that it's everywhere because, full, full disclosure, I didn't grow up in Oakland. Nicole grew up out in Manteca, suburbia, <laughs> you know, Central Valley. So that's why this topic for me was like, okay, I, I'm aware of it, but I haven't lived it. But when you said you can be the poor righteous teacher on anything, I'm a social worker. I am always touting how it could be better, should be better. Why isn't it better for the family, for this, for that? I really appreciated just your expansive take on the fact that it could be you saying single moms have to do it all by themselves and you telling all everybody around you how, how it, how it should be and could be. So, I mean, that was my takeaway that, that this is again, an arc, Art, say it again for me. 
archetype. For righteous yes. complex? Arkle? An arc yeah, it's an arcle arch say it for me. Archetype. I'm sorry, archetype. Yes, archetype. ma'am. No, I can't talk right now. It's an archetype. I really can't talk people. It's an archetype, which means if you're know someone like this or you can identify to this, it's just a type. It's just a, it's like a different gear in a car. It doesn't mean that yeah. person is like that twenty four seven three sixty five. There, there could be a loving mother in the downtime. They could be a loving father in the downtime. They could be a basketball coach and helping. It just means it's a type, and we find ourselves shifting to that gear more times than not. So I think this was a great show. I think we're ready to wrap it up and call this one in the book. Yes, what do we have coming up next week? What do we have? I don't have my paper. What do we have coming up next week? Ah, sorry, guys. We will be on air live next Friday, yes. 11 a.m. Yes, yes, yes. Pacific Standard Time. And I'm going to just throw it out there, and I believe okay. that it. our next topic for next week is accidents are intelligent. Well, that's what it's going to be because that's what you threw out. That's what it's going to be then. <laughs> We think everybody. That's the one I. That's the one I've been wanting to get to. So here's an intelligent accident. (laughs) See how that worked out? (laughs) Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I'm good to go. I'm good to sign off. Thank you for everybody. Thank you for Ice Life for joining us, and for Nikki for bringing her authenticity and being willing to be so transparent, so that we can all, you know, get get free, get a little more free with each show. Let's do it. And thank you, Coley Cole. You are so incredible. This is this is fun. This is fun. <laughs> All, right. All right, family. We will see y'all next week. Our love and gratitude. And um, until next Friday, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, we'll see you then. Peace. Peace.